Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, we start a new series today for about four weeks. I want to talk to you how to go from God's promise through a problem to provision. Promise, problem, provision. Somebody has said, theology is the art of making something simple, complex, and boring. And that's not going to be my, me, I can guarantee you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to start this study on how to claim God's promise. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. These are the commandments and laws and regulations the Lord your God told me, this is Moses, to teach you, Israel, so you may obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy, so you and your children and grandchildren might fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all of his commandments and laws, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, to everything I say. Be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Then verse 10 and verse 11. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land filled with large, prosperous cities you didn't build, houses richly stocked with goods you didn't produce. You will draw water from wells you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Okay, notice, you hear the promise first. Then you see the problem, and as you get through the problem, you get to finally experience the provision. So let's start by establishing some basic concepts about moving from God's promise into God's provision. First, God will give you a promise. He said here he would bring Israel out of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promise. Everybody see it? No, no, nothing complex. And when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them into the wilderness, which is the problem. And Israel was in the stinking problem for 40 years going nowhere in circles. In fact, that's where the Beatles got the song, he's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. (laughs) I I know a few people like that, do you? Yeah. It took Israel 40 years. I'm praying you'll get it in 40 minutes, okay? And after they were in the wilderness, the problem, then they were able to come to the provision, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. So let's learn some principles. Principle number one, the greater the promise God gives you, the greater the problem you're going to have to overcome. Most people want a million-dollar promise and a $10 problem, but that's not how it works. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 48, unto whom much is given, much is required. There are no Kmart blue light specials on a dream on vision, on destiny, on marriage, on health, on fine. Everybody in this country wants a deal. Let's make a deal. How much you take for that? Can you take less? Get a markdown special. When God gives you a promise, there is no markdown special, okay? These, this is not how you go to heaven. This is how you get a dream. This is how you achieve something God wants for you, and nothing comes cheap. 
Okay, a cheap life is a, is a, a wasted life. Who wants that? Principle number two, how you react in the problem determines how long you stay in the problem. 40 days or for Jesus, I mean 40 days for Jesus or 40 years for Israel. It's up to you. Now those are symbolic. Some uh, lady asked me after the first service, was that a literal number? No, it's not a literal number. They were literally 40 years in the desert. But it just simply means you can go through a problem faster or slower. And some people never get out of slower. They stay in the problem their whole life. But your life's going to be measured by the problems you solve or the problems you create. Most people who are Christians fail to see the problems as being anyway from God or used by God. So they typically become bitter and resentful. They whine, they murmur, they complain. They make a career out of their problem and they want you to know all about it regularly. But the best way through a problem is straight through it. Stand up, face it, and go through it. That that gives you this answer of a provision that God promised you. So, God got Israel out of sin's bondage, Egypt, by the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. Then they passed through the Red Sea, which was a type of water baptism, where Egypt, the type of the world, was cut off. Then God took them into the wilderness, which was a type of the problem. And after 40 years, they reached the promised land, which was the provision. So notice, this pattern, this principle we're about to share applies to every person in every life in this room or watching online. Israel could have walked straight through the wilderness, the problem, in two weeks. Instead, it took them 40 years. Why? Because God will put you in a problem or allow the problem. Sometimes he'll create it. Sometimes he allows it to reveal what's in you. What you are under pressure, that's what you are. You know, right now, if everything's going good, you have this false idea about who you really are. And then when it hits the fan, you find out who you really are and what's really going on inside. Well, God knows that. and He knows how to bring it out. It took one day to get Israel out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And most of them, over 20, all of them, but Caleb and Joshua died in the wilderness. They embraced the problem. They made a career out of the problem, and they died in the problem. They never got out of the problem to the promised land. Third principle, the problem that infuriates you the most is generally the problem God gives you to solve. Moses couldn't stand seeing his people in slavery, being beaten. And God called Moses from a burning bush and sent him into Pharaoh's court saying, let my people go. The problem that infuriated him and he killed an Egyptian over was the problem he was assigned to solve. I don't think any of us like controversy or conflict, but you'll never accomplish anything in your life without some conflict and controversy. The alternative is just to live a dull, placid life and accomplish nothing. So all of us want God to do something for us, but the premise of the Bible is that God first has to do something in us, then he'll do something through us, and then he will do something for us. Always that way. So God allows problems to force us to examine ourselves. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Let a man examine himself to see if he's in the faith. So when God led Israel in the wilderness, he gave them a cloud by day and a fire by night. 
The cloud by day kept them from burning up, gave them their air conditioning out in the hot desert, and the fire by night gave them a nightlight so they could see and warmth. Israel had to follow that cloud and pillar of fire. God says, when you see the cloud move, you move. Okay, who controlled that cloud and the pillar of fire? God did. And where did God lead Israel? Well, after Israel got through the Red Sea, Miriam, Moses' sister, led about 750,000 women in praise and dancing. That had to be the greatest estrogen choir on earth. They were so happy God had delivered them. But notice at that point of deliverance, they felt good. But the cloud and the pillar of fire moved. And it took them next to a place called Mara, which translates the place of bitter waters. And in 72 hours, these people who had just seen 10 miracles, the Red Sea part, the Egyptian army drowned, formed a committee, went to Moses and said, you brought us out here. It's your fault. It was better that we died in Egypt than come out here with you. Now, if I'd have been Moses, I'd say, yeah, and I wish you had. Oh, you wouldn't think that, would you? No. Can you imagine a couple of whining people, a million like this? But they forgot their past. They forgot how bad it was. Forced labor, starvation, beating, making mud bricks, prejudice, racism, discrimination, and murder. All day, every day, 430 years. And they said, Moses, you brought us out here. They forgot. Moses didn't want the job. Moses got drafted by God. Moses wasn't saying, send me, send me. He wasn't saying, send Aaron, send anybody. I don't want to go. I, I, people sometimes are nuts. I, I don't know what they think. You, you, listen, you don't really know what you're made of till you go through fire. I'm, I'm telling you, it's true. Steel, that's refined by fire. Gold is purified in fire. Soldiers are tested under fire. Believers are tested by fiery trials. Now, I think the word trial's bad enough. Then he has to throw in fiery. A little adjective. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Lord. Fiery. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to test you as though something strange has happened to you. Wow. The lesson here is fiery trials are normal Christian protocol. I wish it weren't, but it is. See, you know, Christian trials are a normal part of Christian life. Somebody didn't tell you that. That's warfare. Spiritual warfare is standard operating procedures the rest of your life. Anybody feel normal today? <laughs> A little fiery trial, see? See, problems will expose your weakness. Anybody can jump up, shout, praise the Lord when all the bills are paid, kids are behaving, money's in the bank, Rolls Royce is in the garage. Woo! But what happens when you come to bitter water, to the problem? What happens when your wife walks in and says, I want a divorce, and you, Sparky, didn't even know you had a marriage problem? Or you walk into your office tomorrow and the boss says, hey, we're downsizing and you're being let go. That's a problem. Or the doctor tells to you after the test, I'm sorry to tell you, you have cancer. Now you're in a battle for your life. How do you react then? Well, how do you react to the problem determines how long you stay in the problem. So let's do a little quick review. Everything God had for you 
comes in the form of a promise. Salvation is a promise. Prosperity is a promise. Healing, deliverance is a promise. Forgiveness is a promise of God. God's presence is a promise. Okay? Now look at Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. It says, This book of the law, that's God's word, shall not depart from your mouth. That means you don't stick it in your mouth and eat it. It means you memorize it or you write it down and you say it. You say it. I don't want you saying what Britney Spears says. I don't want you saying what your mother-in-law said. I want you to say what I say in my word. You'll meditate in it day and night uh, so that you can observe to do everything written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Sounds like a promise to me. Psalms 1 said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful people. That man shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's a promise. And folks, learn to stand on the immutable promises of God. I know things can be upsetting. You can lose your focus. Things are out of control. You stand on what God said. That's clear scripture because his word doesn't change. Our laws change. Our culture changes. Our technology changes. People change. God never changes. And not one word he's ever spoken. That's what I'm going to stand on. God, even, I mean, Jesus told that little child story that we use in Sunday school about the rains came and the floods came and the house built on the rock stood firm. Well, Jesus said, he that hears my word and does it shall be like that man who built on a rock. Yeah, storms are going to come, but when it's over, he'll still be standing. And that'll be true for a lot of people in here, see? So God's promises are powerful, eternal, personal, proven. And these promises are your shelter in time of trouble. The Word of God will never, never fail you. So let's illustrate this principle of promise, problem, and provision. Let's go to the Garden of Eden first. God makes a promise. He says to Adam, hey, you can eat of everything in the garden, only don't eat from that one tree. You can have everything but one thing. And what did Adam and his wife do? The one thing they couldn't have. And humanity has never changed. So God makes them the promise of living in paradise, enjoying his presence, walking in the cool of the day, no aging, no arthritis, no failing eyesight. Oh, man. Don't you want to just slap old Adam right upside the head? Yeah. No problems at all. Everything's nice. And you didn't have to buy any clothes. Just stay naked. Nobody had a problem. Put all sacks and even markers and everybody out of business. See? Oh, you look nice today. Huh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking crazy, all right? I just landed from London, so I got a little jet lag, so kind of hang with me. So here's the problem. Satan now comes into the garden as a snake, and he challenges what God said. So he says to Eve, you got to get with the program, Eve. Has God really said that? If you eat the fruit, you won't really die. You'll actually become like God. But it all started with the fascination you can be like God. So be careful what you think about, because what you think about, you start saying. And what you start saying, you start doing. And when you start doing it, it becomes either an act of rebellion or an act of obedience to God. And Satan will always challenge God's word, and especially in a trial. 
oh, well, you can't believe that. Well, that's not going to happen. And every time you either have a choice to disobey, go into doubt and unbelief and fear, which the enemy loves, or you can stand firm on the immutable promise of God. So, I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Hey, they said, we know our God can deliver out of that stupid fire. We're not afraid of you. But if he chooses not to because he has a better plan, we're still not going to bow down. Well, of course, they, they walked out without the smell of smoke on them, didn't they? So they had the promise, Adam and his wife. They failed in the, in the problem. And angels came with swords and drove them out of the garden, and their lives were ruined. So Adam faced trouble like a man. He blamed his wife. The woman you gave me, oh God. And then the woman, she blamed the serpent. And the serpent, he didn't have a leg to stand on, so he couldn't blame anybody. And here's the reason. Because self-justification is always Satan's substitute for confession of sin and taking personal responsibility. As long as you justify what you do, you never need to confess what you've done. Adam and Eve had a great marriage. He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married. She didn't have to hear about what a great cook his mother was. Didn't have one. Another example of this principle is in Genesis 12. So God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you shall all nations of the earth be blessed. All nations are going to be blessed because of you, Abraham. That's a promise. Wow, what an incredible promise. But here's the problem. Anytime you get a million-dollar promise, you're going to get a million-dollar problem because to whom much is given, you ought to know it by heart now, much shall be required. So God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your family who are idolaters, and especially your father who influences you the most, and then I want you to sacrifice your only son of covenant, Isaac, to prove you love me. Anybody see a major problem here? Not to mention the dude now is going to be 100 years old and his wife is 90 years old. I was thinking of something to say, but I thought my wife might not want me to say that, so I'm not going to say that. You know, I mean, Sarah's like 40 miles of bad road at 90 and Abraham was no spring chicken at, at 100. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to show you, if you lived in that day and you lived under those conditions, you got a 90-year-old wife, you're 100 years old, you can't see anything, and, and God says you're going to have a kid, you're going to be the father of nations, you'd be at least, yeah, really? <laughs> really? And, and, and then all these demands are made. But here's the, here's the difference. Abraham obeyed in every one of those difficult assignments. And God introduced him throughout all of Scripture as the father of all who believe. And to this day, Abraham is loved by Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Why? Because he was a man who at a critical point in his life, in a problem, was totally faithful to the promises of God through God's word to him. If God said it, he believed it, and it sure didn't look like it had ever come true. So God brought him into the provision, and he'll bring you there as well. Let's go to the life of Joseph. Joseph the dreamer. He calls his brothers together. He tells them he's had a dream. And here's the promise. He said, I saw 12 sheaves of grain and 11 of those babies were bowing down to me. Oh, and those 11 were you. Can you believe that, boys? And the brother said, no. So here's the problem. Then they threw Joseph in a pit. 
Sometimes when God gives you a promise, the smartest thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. So Joseph was sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual assault, thrown into prison for 12 years. He had one problem after the other, and yet he was never more in God's will in all of his life. And in one day, all this, one day, God took him from the pit to the palace as prime minister of Egypt. Here's the provision. See, it's not where you are that's the problem. God can take you from where you are, even a prison, to a pinnacle of accomplishment in 24 hours. You simply have to be able to endure the problem holding on to the promise and walk into the provision by the faith that God has put in your heart. Let's look at the life of Jesus, another example. His promise was to be Savior of the world, Messiah. Massive promise. And the promise was he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tested by the devil. That's the problem. And notice that God the Holy Spirit led him there. And the Father knew that if Jesus was going to face the enemy and defeat him, uh, he was going to have to get close enough to smell his breath. And for 40 days, Satan and Jesus were locked in combat. And every time Satan opened his mouth, Jesus opened his mouth and would say, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. It is written. Now watch this. If the enemy will speak to you through social media, friends, different people in your life, celebrities, entertainers, sports people, politicians, he can use a mouth. He will use a mouth. But God says, I will speak back at you. So if Jesus opened his mouth to contradict the lie of the enemy, he stood on God's word. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All, Satan, all Jesus did was con contradict Satan with God's word. And that's what you have to do when you're faced in a problem. I mean, if he's the son of God and that's what he did, who are you to say, I don't need to do that? So right in the midst of the problem, he's confessing the promises. He stayed in the wilderness 40 days, not 40 years. See why? Because in the day of his adversity, he held on to the promise, went straight through the problem and reached the provision of a miracle ministry, which the father had sent him to do. I'm simply saying, once again, the quickest way through a problem is face it straight on and go straight through it. Jesus went through the problem to the provision as Savior of the world. He went to the cross where he suffered, bled, and died, and he said, it is finished on the cross. What's finished? Sin, it's finished. The blood of Jesus now cleanses us of all sin. Sickness, he took it on his body, and by his stripes we're healed. Death is finished. And at the resurrection, the trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ will rise, be joined to our Savior, and we shall see him as he is. Mary saw him as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. John the Baptist saw him as the Lamb of God at the Jordan River. The disciples saw him as a rabbi, a great teacher. Rome saw him as an insurrectionist, too dangerous to live. The Pharisees saw him as a drunk and a wine-bibber. But we see him in his revealed glory as Lord and Savior, the Son of God the fairest of 10,000, the bright and morning star, the Alpha and Omega, the Lion of Judah, the shepherd, the great physician, the healer, the chief cornerstone, Emmanuel, God with us, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the life, the light and love and the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the entire world. So how do you conduct yourself in a problem? Determines how long you stay in the problem.
The children of Israel were in their problem 40 years because they were full of rebellion and unbelief. All they did was constantly murmur, complain, and whine. And God's response to them was, okay, boys, take another lap around the mountain. I'm going to wear your tennis shoes out. And Israel spent 40 years going nowhere in circles over and over and over. Can you imagine the insanity? I could hear them singing, just a closer walk with thee, while murmuring, we hate this manna. And God says, okay, Sparky, another lap around the mountain. And they went around and around and around that mountain for 39 years, 11 months, and two weeks, much longer than they needed to. See, let me tell you, motion is not progress. Even a broken clock's right twice a day. I mean, doing the wrong thing faster doesn't make it work. Going faster or getting into more religious activity won't solve the problem you're in. You've got to do what God is asking you to do. And the difference between Israel's 40 years and Jesus' 40 days was his willingness to embrace the problem and go straight through it. Some of you are in a problem. And I got to tell you this, you're going to stay in the problem because you're doing the same thing Israel did. You know the word of God, you simply won't obey it. You know the word of God, but you won't do it. Secondly, as Israel, they had spiritual leadership, but they wouldn't follow it. And third, they wouldn't forget the past. Can you believe Israel said to Moses, hey, we remember the leeks and garlics of Egypt. Oh, how good that was. Are you kidding me? Folks, has your past been miserable? Then forget it. God says, if I went back to high school and walked through, I could go through many painful things, but I don't give it a thought on any day, ever, only in just now to say that to you. That doesn't dominate what happened. Why am I going to suck my thumb and whine and drink Maalox over something I can't change, I can't control, and doesn't matter? Come on, hitch up your wagon and pull it out. Let's go. Keep moving. Man, your future's in front of you, not behind you. For crying out loud, get off. Well, you don't know what he did to me. I don't care what he did from you. Knock a few pounds off, do that hairdo, make yourself shark bait, get back in the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's replaceable. That's what I'm trying to say, girls. You can do better. Uh, there's a lot of fish in the sea. And you got God helping you. So what's the problem? And, and, and whining about it and telling everybody about it isn't going to change it. It's not going to help you. Find something that helps you. Be encouraged. That's somebody that can quote you the promise, quote you God's word to help you get through this problem. It's going, you can live again. You say, well, we got divorced and la, 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 la. Well, God got her divorced. He gave Israel a bill of divorce and put her away. God doesn't hate divorcees. He just hates divorce because it hurts people. But he's a divorcee. They wouldn't license a pastor whose wife left him 14 years before I got there in Australia back in, good Lord, 30 years ago. I don't know. It was a big conference and I spoke. And they were taking his license to preach from him because he was divorced. His wife deserted him and divorced him. And that, he's got the big, had the biggest church in Brisbane, Australia. And they took his license away because he had had a divorce. And I says, well, then God could not be licensed to preach by the Assemblies of God of Queensland because he got a divorce. And about 80% of the preachers said, I never saw that in my life. 
I said, you need to get a life and read the Bible. There's life after divorce. It's not the end of the road for anybody in here. Come on. Come on. There's nothing you can't get by with God or get through. God says your sins are cast into the sea of forgetfulness. I will never remember them anymore. Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward to the prize of the mark of the high calling. See, if God has forgiven you and forgotten your past, do yourself a favor and get over it. See, was your past life wonderful? Well, great. Forget it. Did you sell $2 million of life insurance last year? Good. Forget it. You'll go broke and become irrelevant if you keep living in what used to be. What are we going to do for this year? What's our challenge going to be? What's our goal going to be? Our vision. I can't let past success sit on that or I'll die. Your future is a mystery. Your past is history. Today is a gift of God. That's why they call it the present. Right here. This is the only place I can live. Right here. Today. See, where have you been is not important. It's where you're going. It's the provision you're going to. That's important. Now let's take this principle of promise, problem, and provision and apply it to your life. God gives you a promise. Maybe he's going to save your, let's say, alcoholic husband. Your response to that promise is, glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Then you get a call. Your husband's been in a car wreck. He's in critical condition. Now you got a problem. So how are you going to respond? Well, here's the wrong way. Well, if this is how God answers prayer, I'm just going to go down to the liquor store and buy myself a quart of wild turkey and fly away. No. no. Here's the right way. Oh, thank you, Lord. The king of the lounge lizards is now in the hospital. Oh, lush lips is in a full body cast. Your word says you make me to lie down in green pasture. Something good is about to happen. Praise God. Yeah. Because when you start praying, the enemy will try to intimidate you to back off. And that's a good sign it's working. See, when you get a promise, you're going to have a problem. And in the problem, hold on to the promise and you will get to the provision. Let's say you get a promise of financial prosperity. You go to the office Monday. The boss says, we're downsizing, going to have to let you go. You got a problem. So how do you react? The wrong way is to say, well, nothing good ever happens to me. I kind of knew that was going to happen. I've been watching the news. Poor me. Pity me. I think I'll just go out in the backyard, suck my thumb, and eat worms. (laughs) The right way is glory to God. I don't understand this, Lord, of course. Uh, I've been let go. So I guess that's going to make it easier for me to get a better job, a new job, in a right way. I have to lose this old one first. I thank you. You are in control. You will make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And the Lord hears this, and he says, angels, listen to what that guy said. He's gotten hold of the principles. Angels, I want you to rush down. I want you to make the crooked way straight, make a way where there seems to be no way, fill his cup to overflowing, silence his accusers, destroy his enemies, give him houses he didn't build, wells he didn't dig, vineyards he didn't plant. Give him barn-bursting harvest because he's learned how to walk in my promises in the midst of a problem, and his provision will be overwhelming. Thank God. See, let's take, let's take another promise that God will give you patience. Oh, no. What's about to happen? Oh, Lord, I need patience. What's about to happen? Read your Bible. Tribulation works patience. I don't have that verse underlined in my Bible. I never pray for patience. Why? Because all Gehenna is going to come online. 
I know what's going to happen. That's how you develop it in tribulation. You learn some things being around a long time. I ain't praying for that one. No better. And I need it a lot. When you do too, driving in this crazy city with roads, right? No? Well, you guys have reached holy perfection, I guess. I don't know. I, don't, I, just, I hate driving anywhere in this town. And then, you know, your wife th thinks you can get there in five minutes, and I'm thinking, honey, we need to leave a little bit earlier because, you know, traffic's really bad, like, I'm not, like that's news, right? <laughs> so if you want to know where we have arguments, that is where it is right there. I like margins. She lives right on the edge. If, okay. I, and, and I've learned just, you know, let it go, let it go. <laughs> just, you just have to, right? Are you impatient? Do you find yourself in front of the microwave screaming, hurry up! Do you get mad, impatient, make an instant coffee? Let's say the Lord gives you a promise to give you the love of your life. So what's going to happen? I've told you dating singles this. Anybody can be nice for three or four hours on Saturday night. The real person is home locked up in the cage waiting to get out, and they do right after you get married. <laughs> Love at first sight can be cured by a second look. The Bible says these two shall be one, and they go on a honeymoon and find out which one. Her husband says we live in a two-story house. She has her story. I have my story. <laughs> When you get married, you'll have problems. There'll be some dying and crying before you get to the promised land. Well, let me ask you, can you now see, just in this first little introduction, can you see your salvation in maybe a new light? What happens to you when you accept Christ? Problems. Why? Because God's going to show you what's in you. See, when you're a new believer, you pray a little pious prayer like, this. oh, Lord, if there's anything in my life that might be displeasing to you, I'm sure there's not, but if you're able to spot something, please tell me. And God tells you, and usually it's in conflict or a problem, and you say, that's the devil. God's not in that. <laughs> no, Sally, it's the Lord trying to show you where you really are. Now, let's close with this. Let me get rip off real fast here some ways to shorten your stay in the problem. Number one. Take responsibility for your actions. The price of greatness is responsibility, and nobody wants to be responsible. You know, where you are in life today is primarily the choices you made. Okay, take responsibility. God loves it. You know, Saul said, the people made me. David, who was much worse, said, I'm the man. And who did God restore? David. Take responsibility. God loves it. Two, be willing to work for what you want. God gave Israel one supernatural victory at Jericho, but from there on, they had to fight for every inch of ground from that moment forward. And no more manna. They had to plant. They had to sow. They had to toil to get to reap. And wealth without work will destroy you. Number three, don't waste time fighting what you can't change move on. Why would you let it consume you? I will fight and pray for what I can change, but I can't change everything, and I can't change the past. And could I just calm some of you down? Because of different cultures, ethnic background, race, 
different ways you were raised, and you come together in a church, a lot of people can get all engaged in what, look, I can't change what the government does. The only power I have to affect change is I can go vote. I can pray. I can do that. But I can't control that. And, and I'm not going to get in a fight with you or get on social media and fight this case, that case, this mass, no mass, this vax, no vax. Everybody's got a different opinion on something like that. I can't change your opinion. I'm not going to waste my time doing it. I'm going to find what, what our points of agreement ought to be on clear scripture and Jesus. That's all I can tell you. There, we should never be divided. Not if it's clear scripture and not if it's on Jesus. No, no disagreement there. So I don't carry all that conflict into my home. Now, now, some of you get really worked up, and I understand, okay, I understand, but I just think it drains you, you know, it probably reduces your immune system or something, gets you all tight and wedgy, doing, like, because you're fighting everybody. We don't want to be a house divided, we want to be a house united. If you can change it, then change it. If you can't change it, move on. I can't change everything, and I can't change what happened in the past, for God's sake. If it's good, I still have to get beyond it. If it's bad, I have forgiveness. Either way, let's move on. I'm not going to let my future be ruled by my past. And you don't need to either. Number four, stop nursing a grudge. Refusing to forgive somebody will extend your time in the problem. Forgiveness is not optional. It's not an emotion. It's an act of your will. And it doesn't mean I have to trust somebody who betrayed me or tried actually to hurt me. I just choose to forgive them. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He didn't say, I'll get you when I come back. <laughs> and we imitate him. Point number five, be generous with those who need your help. Givers always give. Give, it shall be given to you, whether it's time, treasure, or talent. Be a giver. Everything God controls gives. The sun, the moon, the trees, everything is giving that God makes that he controls. Number six, let your mouth be ruled by the law of kindness. Say please. Say thank. Make those urchins say please and make them say thank you when they're given a gift or they're given a treat or a stranger gives them something in the family. What do you say, Billy? Thank you. I still hear my military father saying, what'd you say, boy? I didn't have a name. Yes, sir. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> I still hear that. <laughs> 78 years old. I still hear those little voices. Don't tell me it doesn't work. It does work, you know. When, when a lady walks in, get up your rear end out of the seat. Get up. Give her the seat. I know you're tired, but it's an act of honor. Get up. There are just some things you just learn to do. And some things. But you've got to train those kids to say thank you and please. And it's going to be a great help to their future life, right? And apologize when you're wrong. I shouldn't have to say to you, say I'm sorry if I hurt you. Just say I'm very sorry about it, right? Number seven, refuse to indulge in self-pity. No one gets through life without some grief, some sorrow, some setback, some misfortune. Nobody. You just don't know what it is, see? If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to you. Self-pity is a sin because it obliterates God. It puts you on the throne of your life. You know, have you taken a hit? Then get up. You don't drown by falling in the water. You drown because you stay there. Get back. Though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will uphold him. Get back up. Everybody has to take a hit. 
And you will, but some people can't get up. They just can't recover. Get back up in the fight. You're a child of the king. Nothing's too difficult for God. Number eight, listen. Give people attention. Put your feelings aside. Try to, try to understand their point of view. You may not agree with it, but listen. Listen to God. Listen to your spouse. Listen to your children. Listen. Number nine, be a peacemaker. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be reconciled. Say, you can either be right or be reconciled, but you can't be both. And if some of you who are married, you don't learn this, you're going to go around the mountain all of your life and you won't be any closer to the provision. See, God wants you to move through the problem to the provision. He wants you to live in the land of your future, your destiny that he planned for you, milk and honey. That's your destiny. And God will help you get there. So I hope you can see these principles. I'm not going to get that promise unless there's some trouble. And how long I'm in this trouble is going to be how I obey what God told me and stand on that promise. Then I will get the provision. And that's the shortest route for what God has promised you. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.